Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. everyone and welcome to this episode of my interview series. Today I have Iris Chan. She's a partner at DLG, Digital Luxury Group, which is a full-service digital agency supporting luxury brands, helping them find their luxury consumer. They work, they do primarily all the work they do is with China and they do a lot of work with the Chinese consumer. So I'm really excited to have Iris here today. Thank you so much for joining me, Iris. Thank you, Ali, for having me. So I guess, first of all, I just wanted to start out and what is sort of at DLG, you obviously do a huge scope of work and different things with different types of clients, but what's the sort of most exciting type of projects that you guys work on? I think the most exciting ones are actually more often than not the the ones that just don't get to be done elsewhere. And I think that's what's been great about working and focusing on China is that there's constantly a new environment to be working with so whether that be you know a full 360 um, campaign for a product launch that's now doing its first launch in China as opposed to doing it at a global level Mm. um, these are super exciting because like this is where we can really take the assets and start from scratch and really build out what makes sense for China as opposed to kind of taking what was from a global Mm. aspect and repurposing or readjusting. So I think this is where we're seeing actually more and more brands do, um, you know, launches or new messaging uh, into this market first. And those are the most exciting because there's just more of a blank slate to work with. But um, as a whole, I think that's generally a process that we're seeing happen across Mm. even ongoing communications as well. So you know, um, even from a social aspect, uh, the volume and frequency is so much higher. So we're, Mm. we're definitely creating a lot of things from the market Mm. locally. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important, like evolution. And it's so good that brands are finally sort of coming to the realization that how different China is, how different the consumer is, obviously the ecosystems are all different, but that it isn't just copy and paste. Um, And even more so than just Um, redoing some of the content, actually creating campaigns for China and China first as well. I mean, we see that with beauty brands, some of the major beauty brands launching their new products in China before they launch elsewhere. And that was, of course, never the case before. Um, China was always uh, six to 12 months behind, if not more. So um, I think that's a real testimony to the importance of the market as well. Definitely. I, I think that that, that has also um, just kind of shifted the way that brands are thinking about it, but also the way that consumers are behaving too. Um, they're mm-hmm. also evolving with that. The environment itself is evolving with that. So all those factors involved together 
um, just does make it a lot more exciting uh, when we're able to do something new and different there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that leads on to maybe my next question, which is about the target consumer. So when I'm doing work with brands, of course, we're always wanting to hone in on who is their target consumer and not these sort of broad strokes, like getting down to the detail of that consumer. Um, and especially, of course, for niche beauty brands, it can be really quite tricky because there isn't a huge amount of precedent um, depending on which part of the category you're looking at. So what type of insights do you guys use to help brands sort of find their real tribe? Definitely. Um, I, I think we go online, of course, because that's a really good reflection of the larger population. Um, you know, doing market research, I think, in China is a little bit tricky in that you, it's such a large country that you can't really quite grasp every element. But mm. looking online organically, being able to see what people are unpromptedly saying about different trends or categories or uh, discoveries of new elements that they're you know trying out at this point and being able to share that is mm. you know common practice from a consumer standpoint so we definitely look at different channels like little red book is great for beauty and being able to look at new trends discoveries and product trials and feedback that is more peer-to-peer -peer level and yeah. i think also going into places like jihu which is sort mm. of like your quora um, equivalent in China, you know, you get to see some more like uh, knowledge, expertise-based kind of feedback that you can mm -hmm. really dig into both at a quantitative level, but also at a qualitative le level, which definitely takes time to go through. It's not, yeah. you know, one of those things where you can really automate and go through all of it. Mm -hmm. Chinese language itself has so many different nuances with its ex expressions and stuff. But um, yeah, I think going through that really does give you a sense of what level of awareness of that category or that trend or that new beauty brand itself might be at in the market and understanding that as well as understanding what other brands are being spoken about with, mm -hmm. you know, in that mm -hmm. comparison. Mm -hmm. I think what we've said for many years, you know, your competitors here in the West or in your home market might not be the same as it is in China it's super, it, it continues to very much be true when you're mm. over in the China market. Mm. It's especially with more brands coming in and the way that they're coming in and how they're being discovered, it's, it's going to continue to be in that sense. So I think that's also insightful to know where you stack up or where you are in terms of the consumer's point of view. Um, mm. But at the same time, I think with consumers in China, it's still evolving like it's mm -hmm. still young there's still so many different types of consumer profiles uh habits that are being formed when it comes to beauty uh fashion a, a lot of different things are still emerging out of their mm -hmm. own senses and i think mm -hmm. it's hard to say that like the the target consumer you have today is one that you know that that's the end all and be all and your job is done and you identified no. it yeah you got yeah. you got to keep going you've got yeah. to and and keeping in mind that you know this this is a market that has a consumer that is evolving with its environment a lot quicker than in other markets so mm. their behaviors are going to change their tastes and preferences are going to change more likely at a higher frequency than other places mm. so mm. i think it's it's a balance of identifying that that um, uh, target consumer or target consumer profiles, but at the same time thinking about how you're going to shape it, you know, and how you're going to shape those perceptions and 
where you see that uh, journey for that consumer evolving over time um, as they you know, mature into different types of profiles or behaviors um, while also adopting potentially new ones as well. Yeah, I, that, I mean, the speed of change is something that I think pretty much every interview I do, we always touch on it because it's just so much faster than any brand really un can understand from a Western or an outside of China perspective. And, and it is the consumer evolving. And, and if you look at even like more recently, the trends with the nationalization, you know, being patriotism, all that, that's mm -hmm. moved so fast. And I think foreign brands are really struggling to work out where they're positioned and their footing with that, because, of course, you need to be culturally sensitive to what's, you know, what everyone's talking about. And um, a lot of there are several brands, of course, that have put their foot in it with that um, and continue <laughs> to put their foot in it. Um, so I think that's really important, like making sure that you listen to your partners as a Western brand, you know, listen to your agency, listen to your team. You've got to be really humble with that sort of thing. And I think even when you're marketing to a Chinese consumer just from your own social channels, you, you want to go in with a humble attitude, right? Like you, you can be educating about your um, specific skincare, um, mm -hmm. you know, the ingredients, all those sort of things. You can be educating, but at the same time, you need to be listening. And any brand that does really well in China, I think, um, has an ability to really listen to what the consumers are saying. I, I think that that's really important. And then earlier on, you talked about, you know, your competition might not be the same as your competition in the West. And that is fascinates me as well, because when you go and you ask your, you know, I ask my client, what is your, what are your key competitors? And you go in and you look at them. And so of course, some of them are not in the market yet, but then suddenly Every they'll, time. Be like, <laughs> they'll be like an obscure brand that mm -hmm. has done super well, or just like a product that doesn't do very well at all elsewhere and is yeah. like number one for that brand in um, in China. So I think that's something that's always good to have those things to pull out from brands to really visualize, like to, to conceptualize it, right? Like to really understand that difference. So. Definitely, definitely. Mm. And then, so with the luxury consumer, because obviously that's the, that's a big focus for you. How do you see that that consumer has changed since the pandemic? Like, of course, China's navigated the pandemic in a different way to many other countries, uh, but it still had a, from what I see, a profound effect on purchase behavior and, and also just consumer behavior. What, how do you see that it's changed? Well, I think, you know, the trend of online purchasing behavior obviously continued to accelerate. It was there, of course, in China, much more prominently than other places. But I think that continued to be much more the case um, as the pandemic grew on. Um, it's not that just because China kind of managed it differently that, um, you know, the pandemic made that every consumer still felt comfortable going outside all the time into a mall. Like foot traffic was still low for a long time. Being mm -hmm. online, going through live streams and selling through that or, or private selling or any of the other online options mm -hmm. were definitely still growing and had more opportunity uh, mm -hmm. for a lot of uh, consumers in the country. So I think that whole behavior just became more comfortable. And as we saw, as a result, you saw brands that were of a higher price point, luxury brands walking in, who started selling online where they didn't before, you know, a lot of the hard luxury goods coming into Tmall 
um, and being on that platform um, in early 2020, you know, that's not something that would have necessarily been happening as fast as it did, but also mm -hmm. for some brands, not even an option for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a, a circumstance of the environment, the demand from a consumer standpoint and the confidence from a consumer standpoint to know that they could, you know, purchase these things at a higher price point. So I think definitely the online aspects still continue mm -hmm. to grow, but the confidence in that um, really accelerated. I think also um, what was interesting, especially in the beauty space is that a lot of the non-essentials became like, let, let's not buy those, let's not focus on those. But when they did buy, they weren't, uh, consumers weren't opposed to spending a bit more mm -hmm. and going for a higher price point um, because they weren't buying all these non-essential items. You know, you're mm -hmm. at home, you're, you're gonna really do the self-care, let's mm -hmm. do it properly. So I think this is where brands, you know, needed to really step up what actually like what actually they could provide to a consumer through their product through their brand um and this is where it ties back into you know that sort of social selling aspect the live stream side of things private selling really building a connection with your consumer and all the different types of consumers um so really ramping up your ability to communicate different messages but a consistent one that really represents your brand but connects with the different types of profiles you might be reaching um, and, and doing that in a very different way, you know, this isn't like a print ad that you would print once with a key message and then like plaster everywhere. It's now you can really start to segment, you can really start to pull some of these insights and really speak to some of the needs that are different. And when it comes to beauty, that's a very different, you know, uh, feeling from a consumer standpoint, because it, it, it's very personal, you know, it, mm -hmm. it is personal at a very different level. And being able to have that connection, um, you know, at, at, at different, you know, aspects, whether it be a broad live stream, uh, you know, cast on a, an 11-11, or if it's a private selling and, you know, just with one or two people, um, or a, a small community group, uh, there are a, a number of different ways to be able to do that and build that connection. So I think brands and consumers have kind of responded to each other in, in this pandemic to find a way that makes the needs, um, you know, responded to by, by what is coming out. So whether that even be convenience, being able to like order something and know that it could just like come to you um, or you pick it up at the store, but you don't actually have to walk in, you know, all mm -hmm. these kind of like small things that are making a difference, um, I think has changed the, a lot of that behavior during this pandemic. Yeah, and, and things like um, beauty advisors retraining to be live streamers. I mean, they still, of course, yep. can be beauty advisors and they have that physical presence, but at the same time, when they have some downtime, they're doing a bit of live streaming on the side, like that sort of thing. I think, I think it empowers them as well, because if you look back several years, people in physical retail felt um, very threatened by di the digitization of the industry. And of course now, especially in China, I think primarily in China, there is this sort of outlet that you can link the two. It's becoming what we always talked about, but it's really becoming sort of linked. It's not Real. to say, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not to say that yeah. it's the physical retail is dying at all. Like it's not mm -hmm. like if you look at beauty, all the, all these multi-brand retailer um, stores are popping up in China. There's loads more coming to the market to sort of fight it out with Sephora, um, like Colorist and, you know, all those guys. Yep. 
but there's a yeah there's a sort of seamlessness between the two which i think is is only good for the consumer right like that's that's so you yeah. can get it when you need it and i i think that that's a really great way to explain what's the change to come in new retail you know the it still comes mm. down to the people who are running that retail and that experience so physically you know it can be a lot more uh, module and change, you know, the format on a, a more frequent basis. So the experience is considered a little bit new each time a consumer goes in there. Mm. Um, but it's really the delivery of it with those retail sales associates and making their role in it a little bit more integral and to, to just how a consumer is going to walk out there, whether they purchase in there or they purchase online or however it happens that experience becomes a lot more meaningful mm. for a reason to go into the store. Because frankly, from an objective standpoint, they could just buy it online, right? There's yeah. gotta be a reason why they go in the store and there is a real reason. And those people help to deliver it. And you're absolutely right. Like that, that, that same issue of retail, um, you know, Salesforce, you know, having that staleness almost, or that, that just kind of, um, maybe not that motivation because of mm. what they do currently because it's stifled you know there's mm. lack of creativity there's a lack mm. of responsibility in a way where they can really reach consumers in the way that they want to you know um so that's definitely evolved in china pretty quickly i think and we're mm. actually seeing it and hopefully mm. we'll start to see that in the west as well soon yeah exactly and i think what sort of an extension of that for brands that maybe are not in physical retail yet one really important point is customer service so yeah. you know you know china there's it's a much more heavy customer service sort of um uh, process like people ask a lot more questions there's a lot more interaction and it's not like a one click to purchase no one talks to each other sort of transaction normally and especially with higher price items there on, online there's that reassurance that's discussion there's, there's always things like that so i think empowering your customer service teams to make sure that they are acting really as mini brand ambassadors that's something that um anyone you know cross-border brands you should be making sure that your partners are doing that and i think it's something that gets uh, forgotten as well so yeah, I, I don't, I, when I speak to clients over here, you know, it's not as like intuitive to think of how important that is. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, we have Taobao, Tmall to thank for that, setting that baseline of, mm -hmm. you know, 24 seven customer service, you know, responses really, really quickly um, <laughs> that set the bar that is a baseline, you know, mm -hmm. it, that is a high bar, actually, if you think about how it is done over in the West. So mm. I think sometimes when, when uh, you know, brands do think that they're going in there, being able to kind of manage the customer service on their own, um, I think there, there is a disconnect in terms of what that expectation actually would be. And yeah. it's not just about knowing how to speak about your brand or your product. It's really responsiveness too, you know, being there when the customer needs you. Um, mm. and, and, and that's a big piece of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, sort of moving on from that, what would you say are the one or two of the biggest challenges you find when working with brands who are operating in China? Um, going back to the speed, uh, the yeah. speed is definitely yeah. one of the big ones. I mm. think it's just, you know, we can talk about the speed and 
kind of warn about the speed in which things will happen, mm. but it's hard to fathom. And I think even during COVID, because there's that lack of travel to the market and not being able to see it themselves, mm. it it is hard to, to know what that really feels like. And unless you've been there and seeing it for yourself does make a difference, it does help to be speaking to experts and, and partners that are having boots on the ground. But the reality is that as that conversation is happening, more is you know evolving at the same time and you're mm. constantly feeling like you need to catch up and it can mm. feel like a lot. So I think that speed is something that brands do need to um, really grasp, but it's something that really requires for them to be there to really connect and understand mm. if they feel confident and being able to believe a, a partner and rely on them, that's great. But if otherwise, it's really seeing it to believe it. Um, and I think the the other element is just really kind of balancing control, um, especially as we spoke before, you know, the environment's so different there. It is really hard to, um, you know, just be able to do what you've done before and implement it again, even if it was 10 years ago in China and you did it then, and now you're trying to do something similar. It's such a different environment already mm. from six months ago, from mm. two months ago, <laughs> that, mm. that that's not something that's possible. So I think that that balance of being able to trust your partners and your local team, really, like your counterparts to be able to mm. understand what they're trying to say, that does take patience. It does take listening a lot more than it is sort of trickle down communication. Um, I think that that really takes a different way of working with this market. Um, and I, I, I think that's probably the case how you would want to approach almost any market that's not mm. your home market. Mm. Um, it, the only difference is that right now China is, you know, it is a large market. So, you know, it, it, it demands a little bit more resourcing around it and perhaps a little bit more equity, equi <laughs> equitable listening. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I think those are main challenges. Um, and then just from a practical standpoint, keeping up, right? So just knowing that you need to be able to keep up with everything that's happening there. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a lot just from a operational standpoint, also from a knowledge standpoint, but um, on a simple day to day, just knowing that there's more and more and more and not feeling too overwhelmed with it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, your point about not being able to travel to the market for brand owners or founders or leaders, it, it's a big thing because, you know, when they normally, when they would go, they'd go for a week, they'd meet everyone and anyone, be fully immersed in it and just come back with a, like be bombarded and, but come back with a real like passion and understanding generally. And it, when you're not there, you can have as many, yeah, it, it's really, it's really very it's different. difficult. It's difficult. And your point about, trusting partners I think this is something that I'm always well first of all trying to help my brands find the right partners because there's a fit thing there that, that, and, and that fit thing is so important because that way they will trust you more if they if they you know the fun come everyone feels comfortable but yeah they you do have to let go I think I think there's a realization as a brand coming into the market that you find your right partners and of course you have checks and balances but you need to empower them to make yes. some decisions and to move forward. Because if they are always coming back to you, no matter even, even if you have dedicated people in your team, it's just not quick enough. 
and you lose out on opportunities and also your team might not make the right decision. You know, they'll make it based on their understanding of Western markets and your brand currently. And, and so I think, but I think, especially on the commercial side, I think from a marketing perspective, there are, you know, you guys, and there are a few other agencies that are really very, really care for a brand. But then on the commercial side, it's, it's really tricky to, have to, to find that because of course, everyone's motivation is different. People's motivation is, is, to sell which is fine so I think it's just but you just have to find that balance and that's you know that's why an, a great digital marketing agency plus a good commercial partner that can work together that yeah. is often a good option not for every brand but that can be a good option yeah I I mean it is really like the the positive productive conflict in that sense you know being able to have the brand in mind but also the commercial aspect in mind it, it can't be one completely over the other um, mm. it is a balance of both because you are running a mm. business at the end of the day but you do want to run a sustainable business so it's you know unless you're as a brand from the home market are very confident in what you know about this market and are keeping up with it from afar you you will need to unless you're that you, you will need to rely on partners and yeah. chemistry is a huge fit it, it is mm. it is tough I mean I think COVID has proven for everyone that, you know, um, we are a social uh, species, you know, we can't do this thing where we're always going to be apart and, and mm. feel like we really know what is happening or what this connection is. So that mm. chemistry is, goes a long way. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's just, a, yeah, that fit thing is important. And without being able to meet people in person, it can be even, it can be, yeah, even trickier. So it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, so I guess, finally, thinking about trends, are there any particular trends that you've seen in the beauty space recently that you think brands should be sort of taking a bit of notice of? I think going back to um, what I was saying earlier about the consumer insights in terms of just realizing that there are a lot of different types of consumers, I think mm -hmm. that that's a big piece. I think there, it is still, you know, a young consumer market to some degree, but there are these, you know, um, budding little needs across the country because there are very different lives that are being lived across this country, climates, geography, all of it, right? So mm -hmm. it all impacts how you, you know, might take care of your skin or what you eat and wh how you, how you uh, get dressed in the morning and what you do. So it, it, it does have a big impact in that sense. And I think it's important to start to like, look at a lot of that, that you know, I, I think at a broad stroke, what we've seen is that whole idea of very like white skin, porcelain skin has not been, you know, the key message anymore, but mm -hmm. that you're starting to see that there are diversity aspects in there that are starting to pop up in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that kind of is a an overall trend that's kind of seeping through a lot of things. So whether it's just your personal needs and preferences in skincare, beauty, co color cosmetics, um, seeing that you might have a different skin color type, freckles, you know, mm -hmm. no freckles, all of these things, they do exist in the China market. There isn't one homogenous type of profile mm -hmm. um, and therefore not one homogenous set of needs and preferences. So I think in the beauty space, there are brands that are starting to speak more to that entering into the market with 
a, a wider palette, um, also just varying needs that, that can really speak to the different types of consumers there. But I think we'll start to see more of that, especially now with animal testing taken away. We'll start to see more of these brands being able to come in, whether it still maintains in the cross-border side of things or in the domestic market and how that's going to evolve with the competition that already exists, um, mm. locally speaking, and really mm. start to see how you can speak to some of these consumers who've only really accessed the local market domestic brands in mm. their you know, respective areas. Um, wider access to all of these can start to really change up uh, the needs. And I think to that end, just, you know, for brands to really understand, like, success in China doesn't have to mean that you own the entire market. Like, success in China can be just a slice of the entire pie. Mm. And, um, you know, that can be really great. So there is definitely a lot of room. And there's also a lot of different types of needs. Um, I think the other thing that we've seen during COVID as well is uh, this domestic duty-free yeah. consumerism. And mm. for the beauty market, that's huge. Uh, you know, mm. changing the 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 limits in terms of the spend on that part as well from the government, um, and also the facilitation from the government to to continue to build up, you know, Hainan as mm. well, and and all the different types of uh, duty free kind of opportunities. I think we're going to start to see that there will be other things coming, other places coming where that can be. Um, you know, an mm -hmm. opportunity for for brands to find some commercial opportunities that weren't really mm -hmm. there before. Um, and I don't think that that means it's going to shut down once international travel starts to open up again. It, it just, it's signaling a lot of change in terms mm -hmm. of what that potentially could be. Um, so yeah, I think those are probably two two big things that are probably going to shake up a lot of the, the beauty aspects uh, of that market um, for brands yeah. abroad as well as domestically. They are two very big things. I think the individualism part is fascinating and it's coming, you know, Gen Z in China are much more individualistic. You can see it through how they're buying fragrances. You know, 10 years ago, consumers were not buying fragrances for themselves. They were buying for gifting. Now it's all about me and how that's a reflection of my personality and my, you know, so that's that individualist individualism aspect is so crucial um, for brands to grasp. And I think this idea of China is very big and China's consumers are different for various reasons is has been there for a while, but the individualism aspect and the fact that people want to express themselves and therefore they're looking for hair care that's specific for their hair. And they've got wavy hair, by the way, they don't have straight mm -hmm. hair or, you know, all, all those things that you were mentioning before. I think that's so important. I think very few brands are really um, addressing that. And I think there's a big opportunity for that in many categories, not just skincare. Yep, um, and, and then Hainan, I mean, duty-free is a whole different topic. There's, uh, there is uh, so much opportunity there for beauty. And obviously the government, I mean, there's been some announcements in the last few days as well. The government is just really um, accelerating yeah. that. And when the Chinese government get behind something, <laughs> you know, it's going to be big. Yep. So uh, yeah, keeping watching that space is also really crucial. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think just to, just to add to the point of, mm. you know, hair care, whether it be that fragrances, I think it's starting to open up all these other subcategories within the beauty sector that wasn't necessarily like the obvious bunch um, mm. for this market. 
fragrance was that counter in the back corner of yeah. the airport. You know, it was never yeah. touched. You walked by it. You maybe bought something as a gift. Never mm. knew how it smelled. Nobody stood mm. there to try and test mm. it or share it with you. You just guessed based on the bottle and then you moved on. Mm. Um, it's definitely a very different place. And I think that that kind of just goes into a whole other space with what beauty potentially could be and crossovers with other elements and other brands and categories that will start to really seep into the market and mm. find new opportunities. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's it's gonna be, I, I think, quite a an interesting ride in the next several years because- Hold on everyone, hold of, on. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like a lot of this is still showing like just early signs of what yeah. will be, like it's mm. not, you know, saturated, it's not overdone. There are just buds coming up from the ground. Mm. Mm, yeah absolutely absolutely oh well iris thank you so much i think that was really interesting i think there's a lot to take away from that and i will put your details below for people for to get hear more about dlg and to get in touch with you and um yeah thanks again for your time thank you so much ali it's great being here thank you so much for joining me in this episode of clean beauty asia the podcast with me ali rook I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.